You are listening to A Taste of Romumu, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about Romumu, please visit romumu.org. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Parsha this week begins with the character of the Mitzorah, one suffering from an elusive skin ailment, sometimes described as leprosy, sometimes alluded to as a, a ritual or spiritual impurity. It might have been a contagious illness or it might have been something else entirely, but what is clear is that when the Mitzorah receives this diagnosis from the priest, she must remove herself from the Israelite camp. Out of her, on her way out of town, she calls Mitzora, Mitzora, so others will stay away. When she reaches a destination far from community and civilization, she sits alone. In all of Vaikra, only of the Mitzora is it said, Badad Yeshev. She will sit completely alone. This isn't quarantine 
with others suffering a similar ailment, and it certainly isn't solitude. This is utter seclusion and aloneness. And what about the community from which she is isolated? She's out of sight now, and they can forget about her entirely. In Vaikra Rabba, the rabbis quarrel over how much distance to keep when one chas v'shalom encounters a mitzorah in the street. First, it says that the rabbis lift their eyes, and when they see her from afar, they pretend that they don't know her. Then Rabbi Yochanan says, it is forbidden to walk to the right of a mitzorah, dalit amot, four cubits. Rabbi Shimon says, a hundred cubits. But wait, there's no argument here. Stay away four cubits when the wind isn't blowing, and stay away a hundred when it is blowing. Rabbi Meir says, don't eat anything that comes from the harvest of a mitzorah. And Reish Lakish would throw rocks at the mitzorah and say, get out of here, stop polluting. This is not the most shining moment for our sages. First, the unnamed mitzorah was invisible to them. They can forget about her entirely. But then when confronted with her presence, they turn her into a pariah. Instead of pushing through their own discomfort towards empathy, they further alienated the one in pain. Last week, I went for a walk with a dear friend of mine in Boston. She suffers from a rare form of chronic nerve pain called pudenda neuralgia. She lives with perpetual pain in her pelvis. My friend had been living in Israel, pursuing a career in art therapy, and living amongst a community of friends. Within months of her diagnosis, she could no longer live the life that she had built for herself. She gave up her job, moved home with her parents in Boston, and reoriented her life around pain management, doctor's visits, and physical therapy. But beyond all of these losses and challenges, she said to me last week, the worst thing is, I'm invisible. Passersby cannot see that my life was upended, that I sit and move and sleep with pain. And my friends have trouble listening. Some don't want to hear anymore, and many have stopped calling. After our walk, I asked myself, why? Perhaps they stopped calling out of a sense of powerlessness to help. I can't do anything. Science can't do anything. I feel unable to reach across the chasm of pain to relate. Perhaps it's because the thought of living in constant pain is so har harrowing to all of us that it triggers our own vulnerability and fear, and so we instinctively put up barriers. And perhaps, too, it gets boring. Ah, all she can talk about is pain. In our Parsha, the community forgets about the Mitzorah once she moves beyond the camp. But there is one who does not, who does not forget. The Kohen, the priest, shuttles between the community and the Mitzorah from within normative, to so normative society to the one who has become outcast and untouchable. He visits her, he checks on her, he determines when she's ready to return. 
And after a period of time when the affliction has healed, even just stabilized, the priest performs a powerful shamanic three-step ritual that pierces through the loneliness, unlooses the knots of invisibility and isolation, and nudges the Mitsura back into the bounds of society. So in the first step of this ritual, the Kohen selects two doves, two pure birds. He sacrifices one, pours the blood into a bowl filled with living water, mixes in red cedar wood, hyssop, scarlet thread, and then he takes this bowl and he sprinkles the blood and the mixture with the water and all these other things onto the Mitsura. After sprinkling the Mitsura, he takes the living bird and he dips the tips of her wings into the very same mixture and then he releases her back into the field to fly away home. According to my teacher, Rabbi, Rabbi Nehemia Polin, this blood-water mixture is a conduit. It's an agent of connection between the bird and the mitzora. Just as the bird is released to rejoin its community, so too the mitzora will be returned to her natural habitat to reintegrate. The bird and mitzora are now bound to each other through the traumatic memory of isolation and through the possibility to renew and to return home. In the final step of purification, back to the, this three-step process, the priest anoints the mitzora in a rite that only occurs in one other place. It occurs at the ordination of the priests. The priests were lifted into priesthood by anointing. Here, we see so plainly that the priest does not see her as other, does not see this mitzora as something other, something to be feared. But beyond that, he sees her as himself in some way. He is anointing her and sending her, lifting her to a higher place and sending her back into community. In this very act, the Kohen and the Mitzorah become mirrors for each other. In the Tanakh, in our story, the isolation of the Mitzorah has a clear end point. The society sends her away, but it also brings her back via the Kohen and via ritual. She's not left to rot beyond the sight of community. But today, when we push someone outside the bounds of community, when we close our eyes and we make them invisible, we do not have the assurance of a built-in ritual to bring them back when we are all ready somehow. Today, when someone slips through the cracks or is pushed vehemently to the other side of acceptable, whether because of chronic pain or mental illness or even walking to one's own drummer, we often leave them there and we forget about them. Why? Because we do not understand that our role is the role of the Kohen. The Kohen, who is the intermediary between many worlds, in this case, mediates between society and the untouchable one. He is present with both. He stands in solidarity and with empathy and helps to prepare the Mitsura to reintegrate and at the same time helps to prepare the society to welcome her home. The Kohen is both an insider and an outsider and this allows him to move between. 
Today, when I think of the job of Kohen, it's often performed by social workers, occupational therapists, physical therapists. But that doesn't get the rest of us off the hook. We need to move beyond our fear of empathizing, beyond our apathy, which often stems from fear. And we need to bring each other home. Needless to say, the individual has to want to come back, has to have the will and the spirit to return. My friend who I mentioned earlier is ready to come home. She started support groups for women with this condition. She's trying to raise awareness within greater society and she's, really, she's thrown herself into her artwork. So how do we, how do we as her friends get our inner Kohen on? and recognize that she's ready. How do we be her ally as she rejoins community? So I want to give us a blessing and a charge to answer the call of the Kohen, to be the one who sees those who are invisible, to anoint her as the priest anointed the Mitzora, and to help bring her home. Only then will we merit to be a mamlechet kohanim v'goy kadosh, a kingdom of priests and a holy people. <laughs>